You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. Connect with us online at redemptioncalgarysouth.com. I'm going to welcome you all here to Redemption Church, Calgary South. My name is Quentin, uh, the pastor here. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy, uh, the book of 1 Timothy as we're turning to chapter 5 today. just want to take a moment and just uh, thank a bunch of people. Uh, our family, we moved to a new house yesterday, and uh, a whole bunch of you jumped in and, and helped us with that. Uh, we couldn't have done it without you, and, uh, and it, it was quite a move, of course. With the Whitfords, there's a lot of stuff to be moving, and uh, and as we, uh, as we turn to the book of 1 Timothy, I, I'm, just re- I'm feeling a little bit of, uh, I'm feeling a little older today uh, after moving. The older you get, moving is harder, picking up all those boxes. But I had some younger guys along with us. I think we had an older guy with us too, but uh, you know who you are. Uh, but some of the younger guys, we were moving a piano yesterday. Everybody loves when you mention that there's a piano to be moved. And uh, actually, we didn't tell anybody that there was a piano to be moved before they came. But we got them on the piano, these young guys and me. And, uh, and as we turn to 1 Timothy 5, this kind of applies. I'm an older guy, they're younger guys. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Well, as we're turning to chapter 5 today... We've already witnessed a lot of groundwork in the, in the book of 1 Timothy about what it means to become a healthy church according to God's master plan. Uh, in chapter 1, we already saw how, how the false teachers and, and false teaching uh, were to be boldly confronted and how we as the church and also as leaders of the church are to wage the good warfare for the true gospel, how we fight also that fight uh, through prayer prayer for all people, prayer for our governments, and and how timely is that, again, right now, Uh, how structure and order within the church are needed to produce health within the church, where men and women return to their God-ordained and designed roles within the church, where biblical leadership is to be established through character, and how the church becomes more and more healthy as each person disciplines themselves for godliness. And then just last week, as Paul was revealing uh, the pastoral commitments, Timothy's commitments as a pastor, um, how the health of the church is hinging upon how a pastor or elder's uh, health and commitment to living and leading and learning and lasting is for the good of the church and for the glory of God. Now, as the purpose of this letter was to instruct how the church is to behave uh, as the household of God, the family of God. As we're turning to chapter 5 here this morning, Paul is going to give us some extremely important insight uh, when it comes to relationships within the family of God, specifically in the area of addressing each other, confronting each other, and and walking with each other, uh, confronting maybe sin and things that are in our life. Uh, Friends, as as a healthy church is a church that confronts sin in ourselves 
and in each other, how we go about confronting sin is going to either help the body or it's going to harm the body. How we go about engaging one another as the body of Christ will either lead to further healing or even further injury to his body. And so it's extremely important for us to know how to do this according to Scripture. So as you and I want to grow as, and become a, a healthy church, and we also want to seek spiritual health individually as well, friends, we need wisdom. We need guidance. We need God's Word. And, and what we're seeing here in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 to 2, is that when it comes to different people and different ages and different sexes, even within the church, according to God's Word, there, there are distinct approaches that need to be taken. Uh, that it's not a, a one-size-fit-all kind of approach, but rather it's a measured, distinct attitude and tone as we approach each other when it comes to the church, when it comes to the older men in the church, when it comes to the older women in the church, when it comes to younger men in the church, and, and younger women in the church as well. And Paul gives us uh, some guidelines here and some commands about how we are to do this as a faith family, as the church is the spiritual family of God. And so it's about how we're to approach each other according to our distinct, unique functions as a family. I'm going to read that again. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 to 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us. We thank you for us gathering together as a church and how you have been faithful in the gathering of the saints here at Redemption Calgary South. We do pray, Lord, that today as we come to you as the family of God, as those from the household of God, brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the Lord, that you would teach us today how we are to interact with each other, how we are to confront each other, and how we are to love each other. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, as you indwell your church, as you indwell your people, that you would be producing spiritual fruit within us, and that fruit would be translating itself out into relationship as well. As we connect with each other, as we grow together, that you would be building a healthy church for our good and for your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So a healthy church is a church that confronts sin. But how we go about confronting sin will either help the body or harm the body, right? It'll either lead to further healing or further injury as the body. So how, again, we go about engaging sin or issues in an older man, an older woman, a younger man, or a younger woman for the health of the church needs some wisdom. And so we're going to God's Word here Again, and it all begins here with two clear commands that are given by Paul to Timothy here, beginning in verse 1, where Paul says, Do not rebuke, but encourage. Do not rebuke, but encourage. As these two commands are given as imperatives for how Timothy is to treat older men, they also stand as imperatives, as a, as a heading for the, for the three other personalities we see here in this section as well. So remember, Timothy was, was young, right? 
Uh, and he was just instructed in verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, he was instructed to command and teach, right? To let nobody despise him for his youth. And so as he's a young pastor, and as he is to exhort and engage his church, he is to be extremely careful how he is to go about doing so, right? As he was, as what was revealed already, as he was being despised by some, and he was being looked down upon for his youthfulness, there would have been a temptation in Timothy to just throw around his spiritual weight a little bit, right? Let's say that he wasn't being listened to as readily as he should from some of uh, the older men, and, and he would have been tempted to enforce his words with his spiritual authority. And even in his, in his frustration, he would have been led to possibly rebuke people in a harsh way. In fact, uh, the word rebuke here in this text is the Greek word epiplesso, which has actually some violent connotations. It literally means to physically beat somebody with your fists. Or it also means to stand over somebody with all of your authority and to cut them down with your words. So in this sense, rebuke really means to verbally assault somebody. And so as Paul is commanding Timothy here, he's commanding him to not rebuke, but rather encourage. Uh, he's calling Timothy uh, to, to not be given or tempted to be speaking harshly or with anger towards his people, but rather to encourage them. That as he himself is to keep a close watch on his life and his teaching, as we already learned from chapter 4, he will save both himself and his hearers by encouraging his people. And encouraging here is in the sense of appealing to them, urging them, exhorting them, right? Not in a demanding or a demeaning way, but in a way that honors and respects the distinct personalities within the church. And so here we see him starting with the first person or the first personality in the church. He starts with the older men in the church. Paul is commanding Timothy to, to not engage the older man harshly, but rather to engage an older man as, as Timothy would engage his own father. So verses, verse 1, the first half, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Friends, as we engage sin in each other's lives, for the health of the church, when it comes to engaging men who are older than us, who have experienced more life than us, who maybe have more gray hair than us, the key to being more helpful than harmful is to engage older men with the respect deserving of a father. Bill Mount says this. He's one of the commentators uh, of this book excellent commentator. He says, just as it is difficult for an older person to respect the teaching and leadership of a younger man, right? Chapter 4, verse 12. So also it is difficult for a younger man to know how to instruct and correct the older people in the church. According to Paul, the key in doing so is to treat them as family, to treat them as fathers within the household of God. Now, as you think about a father in a household, the father plays the role of authority, and a role of authority deserves respect. It deserves honor. This was the, the cultural norm 
within the Ephesian culture at that time, but it was also so much more a norm of Scripture as well. We just need to be thinking about the Ten Commandments, right? What does the Fifth Commandment say? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Honoring your father comes with a blessing. We also see in Proverbs 30, verse 17, how dishonoring your father comes with consequences. Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Or as Jesus himself taught from the scriptures and from Matthew 5, 15, 4, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. This is serious stuff in the eyes of God. So brothers and sisters, to approach an older man about his sin is something that Timothy and you and I need to do very carefully and to do it with the utmost respect. Yes, an older man in the church would be considered a brother. We're all brothers here. But his age and his experience in life dictate a reverent approach. It dictates an honorable reproach. So it did back then and so it does today. Now, in our, in our Western culture, respect for older people is still a thing for sure. But I think it's something that is, is waning. I think it's something that is losing ground. You know, when I, when I grew up, my parents, they didn't allow me to refer to my friends' parents by their first names. They just didn't. I was taught always to refer to them as Mr. and Mrs. Uh, so-and-so, right? As a sign of respect for somebody who is older than I am. And I believe that that's right and good. Uh, even in other cultures especially in Asia and Africa, as some of you well know, older people are referred to respectfully as auntie or uncle, as a sign of respect of somebody who is older than you. And, and so as much as, as culture still holds to honoring older people, older men in the church deserve that much more, according to Scripture, that much more honor. Paul says here, encourage him as you would a father. Right? Not just as an older person, which is warranted within itself, but as a father, which really kind of cranks up that whole respect factor all the more. I mean, how many of you, when you were, when you were growing up, were, were a little bit scared of dad? Anybody? Like in a healthy way, right? In a healthy way, right? Um, like you, know, you knew that your dad really loved you, right? But, but, but compared to mom, dad came with a little more gravity, right? Like say your mom could go and tell you to go and do something. And she could tell you for the third time to go and pick up your Legos that are all over the floor. But you know it's just mom, right? I can kind of let that slide. But the moment dad comes in the door, you're picking those Legos up right away. You jump up right away. You get it done right away. You know that that there's going to be trouble to pay if I don't do that, because my dad is the boss. You know that he knows much more than you do, and that he's experienced a lot more life than you. And Paul says, when it comes to the church, 
When it comes to the church family, we are to treat our older men with with that same respect. Now, let's take that a step further. How about when it comes to sin? Let's say that you, you find out that your dad made a big mistake or he was seriously wrong about something. How much, as a child, do you hesitate bringing bringing it up? Or how careful are you in crafting your conversation to bring something up without disrespecting your father? It's not easy for a father to be corrected by his kids. And the same goes for older men in the church. So as Timothy was young, respectively, right, he had to be careful. He had to be careful how he was going to approach the older men in the church, meaning that he'd have to be careful with his tone, with his choice of words, even careful with his timing, right? The wisdom of Proverbs says in chapter 25, verse 11, is that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A fitting tone and a respectful candor makes what's hard to hear that much more palatable. For example, when it comes to the church, Timothy, again, he was short on years physically, but he was very mature in the faith. And there could have been gentlemen who who were 30 years older than him in the church. And and maybe there was an older man in the church and he was new to the church. Maybe he was a new believer. And, and this is a man that, that needs counsel. This is a man that's going to need guidance. He's going to have to be raised, in a sense, spiritually, by this young guy, Timothy. And say, as, as, as the road goes, and, and maybe Timothy and, and others discover a sin area in his life, a sin problem that maybe this older gentleman's not aware of, maybe it's even a sin that he's not willing to repent of, right? Something serious. Well, according to Paul, what are we to do with that? Are we to come to him with a heavy hand, right? Are we to approach him with an an attitude of superiority? No, we we seek to appeal to him. We approach him with care. We approach him with respect. We We don't turn a blind eye to sin, but we go carefully, right? We wanna we wanna seek to win him as a brother, as Matthew 18 would call us to, while we're still respecting him as a father. Now, I know that we're a, we're a pretty young church. Older man in our context means you're probably in your 40s, and there are some exceptions to that as well. But as we move forward as a church, as the Lord grows us together, as, as we desire uh, to, to pastor and to grow and to, and to have more older generations, and, and that's a real picture of health, to have older generations among us, a healthy church is a multi-generational church, and how we seek to grow is really dependent on, on, on partial on this and how we exhort one another, how we're careful to engage each other. And so when it comes to the older men in the church, we need to respect, give them the respect that is deserving of a father. But what about the younger men? As Paul instructs Timothy to not rebuke but encourage the older men, these same imperatives apply how he is to approach the younger guys as well. Paul says, Do not rebuke, but encourage younger men as what? Younger men as brothers. Meaning that as we seek to help 
right? Rather than to harm our younger men, the biblical principle applied here is that we confront younger men with the love deserving of a brother. Now, as we see this term younger here, younger men doesn't just mean those who are younger than you, but, but rather men who are, are younger than the older men, right? Men who are younger, uh, like Timothy, men who would be around the same age of, of Timothy and younger as well. Uh, Timothy was most likely in his mid-30s. If we were to look around our church, there's a lot of uh, mid-30s here for sure. This would include most of the, the men in our church. And so again, as the principle of family is being applied here, as the principle of family is teaching us and instructing us how to deal with the young men in the church, young men, according to the word here, are, are to be considered as brothers. You'll, you'll find I'll often address you as brother or brothers and sisters from the pulpit because we believe in being a church family. You are our spiritual brothers and sisters. And so this principle of family uh, and, and, and this this, this focus of, of encouraging young men as, as brothers is, is a real ruling factor for us here as a church. Now, when I think about young men, when I think about brothers, as I naturally read this, I instantly think of my own earthly brothers. I've got a twin brother and I've got an older brother. And if I was to apply how I naturally think about this according to my life experience, I remember that brothers just sometimes don't treat each other well, do we? I remember how me and my brothers would fight amongst ourselves. I remember how my twin brother and I would gang up on our older brother. And how also our older brother, would, he would flex his, his older brother position with us as well. And how older brothers often find their younger brothers irritating. Anybody testify to that? I didn't see you. Older brothers can find younger brothers irritating. They can find them immature. And, and, and especially as an older brother, you don't want to be corrected by your younger sibling as well. In fact, it's, it's quite common for, for older brothers to be heavy-handed with their younger brothers. And so, is this what Paul's talking about? Are we to deal with the younger guys in, in the church with a heavy-handed way or a superior kind of way? Well, of course not. But Paul says here, do not rebuke. Again, remembering... That rebuke here has, has these violent connotations. Now, Paul is saying, do not rebuke, right? Do not confront harshly, but rather encourage younger men as brothers. Brotherhood defined not as we do naturally, but brotherhood as defined by the church biblically. When it comes to the Bible, brotherhood in the church has no superiority and no inferiority. Brotherhood in the church has, as Scripture speaks of, of love, brotherly love, right? It speaks of equality. It speaks of brotherhood according to God's definition, which has no allowance for harshness. It has no allowance for heavy-handedness. 1 John 2, 9 to 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no case for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
Friends, to treat each other with contempt is to join the darkness. It's evil. It's, it's fallen. It's the natural way. It's the worldly way. True, equal, generous love is the biblical way. It is the definition of brotherhood according to the Bible. 1 John 3, 11-14. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, the first children born to Adam and Eve, as the story goes, Cain was the firstborn. He was the older brother to Abel. And when Abel, the younger brother, brought a more acceptable offering before the Lord, Cain became so angry with his younger brother that he ultimately ended up murdering him. The fallen way of older brothers towards younger brothers is not brotherly love, as exampled by Cain. The worldly way is to hate. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, Right? That's the natural way, but, but the biblical way is love. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. This is supernatural, Holy Spirit-born, brotherly love as the biblical governor that tempers how we are to relate and to confront our peers, our younger brothers. So as Paul also calls the church in, in Romans 12, 10, right? He says to love one another with what? With brotherly affection. To outdo one another in showing honor. That needs to be our appeal to one another as we approach one another as brothers and sisters, I would say. So when it comes to dealing with sin in another brother, at your peer level or even younger, we have to remember that love rules. Love governs. Now again... Letting love govern doesn't mean we overlook sin. It doesn't mean that we don't address sin in each other's lives. No, friends, we are commanded many times in Scripture to admonish one another, to exhort one another, right? Colossians 3, 16a, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Uh, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Love doesn't mean that we don't address sin. No, brotherly love means that we must address sin. But we do it with love. Because the Lord disciplines those who he loves. Right? We speak the truth in love. Love, friends, is our tone. Love is our motivator. Love is concerned with sin, Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So brothers and sisters, as I've said before, the Lord has saved you from your sin but he has also saved you into his family, right? As a son and daughter of God. And now you have spiritual siblings, right? Siblings within the household of God for your good, for your growth, as a divine gift given to you for your sanctification. 
And as that family, as that brotherhood, as we operate together, we're, we're not to wink at sin. We're not to stand by as, as say, de- a dangerous, uh, in, infectious leaven enters the body of Christ, right? Threatening the family. No, as God is serious about sin, we are to be serious about sin as well. Therefore, we watch out for each other. Therefore, we love each other enough to lovingly, truthfully speak up when we see something in each other's lives, to engage each other. Again, not in a harsh, unloving way, but in a brotherly, loving way, right? As equals, as co-heirs, as partners in the gospel together, fighting the good fight of of the gospel together as we love one another, right? To, To love each other is to deal with sin biblically. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is brotherly love, and it's for all of us. Brothers and sisters, we have have been saved from the world. We have been saved to the church, and we have to remember that the church is the family of God. And as all families do, sometimes we're going to hurt each other. Sometimes we're going to sin against each other. Sometimes we're going to need our sin pointed out in each other, even if it hurts. Now, I know uh, as much as any of you that, that having your sin pointed out, having your sin confronted, it's, it's not easy. Oh, it hurts at times. I don't like it. It's not comfortable, but it's for my good. And in the end, it's the most loving thing that you can do for somebody. But depending on how you do it, depending on how you approach it, can lead either to further healing and growth or further hurt or injury. We have to be careful. How you go about this means everything. If you've ever been harshly rebuked, you know what I'm talking about. How readily were you to respond to a harsh rebuke? How loved did you feel in that moment? If a brother or a sister has sought to correct you in in a a superior, looking down their nose kind of way, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't feel love to be bonked on the head. It doesn't feel love to be treated like you're an irritating little sibling. If you yourself have engaged someone as well, in an unloving tone or demeanor, you may know what I'm talking about as well. Maybe, maybe you, in, in, in love, you were going to somebody, but your tone was in such a way that, that the reaction was opposite than you desired from that person. Instead of them receiving that counsel, receiving that exhortation, maybe, maybe they just moved further away from you. Maybe it wasn't the fact that you took the effort to point out their sin. Maybe it was the fact that your act of love, as revealed through your tone, through your demeanor, may have come across in an unloving way. You know, in this season that we're in, as the conversations are taking place, as opinions are flying, as accusations are being made, there's a lot of battles brewing out there right now, especially in Christian circles. From what I hear, 
Many churches out there are quarreling. Leadership is divided. Christians are conflicted. And they end up sinning against each other in that, especially during COVID. And even more so, in the recent news of a, of a pastor in Edmonton being put in jail, there's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion going on online, and, and discussion is good. Sometimes that discussion goes AWOL, though. No, that, that said, I'm, I'm super pleased with, with our church and, and how we interact with each other, even though our opinions may differ uh, to some degree. I see our people acting in brotherly love. Even before somebody needs to be addressed or exhorted, I, I, I witness our people confessing to one another, seeking forgiveness and having charity with one another, letting love rule. That is a good sign of growing health and maturity, something to be celebrated. Let's keep that going. Let's relate and encourage and let brotherly love be our goal. May we look back, as Paul does, uh, on the church of Thessalonica in First Thessalonians 4.9, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. May that be, may that be said about us as well. And especially with us men and, and, and people in the church, as we are confronting our younger men with sin, let us watch our tone. Let us watch our demeanor. Let us let, us, let, us let love rule. Speak the truth in love. Confronting younger men with the love deserving of a brother. Now what about the older women? Again, Paul says here, do not rebuke, but encourage older women as mothers. Brothers and sisters, for the health of the church, instead of harming but healing, we must exhort older women with the gentleness deserving of a mother. The command here to encourage the, the older woman as mothers very much lines up with how we are to approach and exhort the older men. It, it falls in line again with the fifth commandment, right? To honor your fathers and your mothers, right? Even though they may not be your blood parents, they are to be treated as your spiritual parents, as a spiritual mother. And although to, to honor an older woman as a mother demands requires the same level of respect and the, and the same appreciation as a father, there is a nuance here when it comes to a, a mother. There's a difference here between the two, and, and I believe the difference comes down to gentleness, a revered gentleness and a care for her fragility, for her softness as an older woman. There is a certain boldness and rawness that you can speak to your father that you wouldn't speak to your mother. There's a certain amount of protection and carefulness that you would treat your mother with that, that isn't so necessary with dad. For example, as you and your father may enjoy you know, watching a boxing match or a UFC match, or maybe you like to hunt or whatever it may be, sometimes you get together and you're talking about the gory details, but your mom doesn't want anything to do with that kind of a conversation, right? Never mind talking about it. As many older women have lived lives devoted to family, devoted to, to nursing and raising children and caring for a home. And as dads are often more out of the home, right, being exposed to, to more of, of the rawness and the rougher side of the world, there's a certain amount of caution and carefulness that you want to respect when it comes to addressing an older woman. 
Uh, Scripture speaks about women as being uh, the weaker vessel. To be a weaker vessel is not a derogatory term. It's not a demeaning definition. It's rather a comment about her, her softness or her fragility. Uh, an older woman can be more like a, like a plate of china compared to a plastic plate, right? She's more fragile. She's more delicate. And more carefulness is needed. For example, let's say one of the ladies... Uh, in our church, is connected with an older lady in the congregation or, or maybe another church. And they, they agree to meet for a regular coffee and to share life together and to pray together, pursuing that Titus II discipleship. We love that. Do that. But as they begin, begin to spend more time together uh, and, and, and share their lives together, the younger woman notices that the, the older woman is beginning to talk about people, begins to talk about things in the church in a, in a gossipy kind of a sort of a way. Like maybe it started out as innocent prayer requests for others, but then it turns into gossip. Like, like more information, right, than is needed to pray for somebody. And maybe that older woman isn't really aware and isn't really aware how sinful it is. In that moment, what is the younger woman to do? How is she to address it? Is she to just overlook it? Is she just to put up with it? Or is she to confront it? How is she to confront it? As Paul says here, he says, don't harshly rebuke her, but rather encourage. Address her as you would your own mother, where you would go carefully, so carefully and so respectfully to your mom, right? knowing that it may not be something that she's really aware of, and that, that a harsh rebuke towards her wouldn't be helpful at all, but, but it would be more in the form of a gentle questioning, right? a careful leading, a careful urging, right? referring to Scripture all the way, relying on the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to do the deeper work, right? that as the, the Bible wisely prescribes in Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Or even Proverbs 15.4 reveals that being careful with how we speak gives life, right? A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Friends, when it comes to the older women in the, in the faith, we want to be careful. Paul exemplified this when he addressed two women in Scripture who were, who were at odds with each other in the Philippian church, right? He didn't come down on them with a harsh rebuke, but rather he urged them to mend their relationship. He urged them carefully as honorable older women in the church, Philippians 4, 2 to 3. He writes, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored by, side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He doesn't come down on them with the boldness he might come down on, on, on another man in his life. He entreats them. He urges them with the same tenor that he would use for his own mother for the purposes of helping rather than hurting. According 
to persons and personalities, brothers and sisters. Exhort older women with the gentleness deserving of a mother. So we have older men, we have the younger men, we have older women, and then fourthly and finally, we have the younger women here in the text. Again, Paul says, do not rebuke, but encourage younger women as sisters. And then he tags this on the end, in all purity. Very important. Church family, when it comes to becoming a healthy church, when it comes to addressing sin and and relating to uh, each other, when it comes to the younger women, we must approach younger women with the purity deserving of a sister. Now for sure, much of what we already spoke about uh, when it comes to the older woman would also apply to the younger woman, right? That they are as well weaker vessels in comparison to men. Again, not in a demeaning way, but rather in a delicate, sensitive way and fragile sense and must be treated as such. And maybe I would even say more so as younger women. Younger women haven't, haven't witnessed or experienced as much life as, as most of the older women. They haven't walked through as much of the harder stuff as, say, an older woman would. And so the treatment of, of younger women is, is going to be that much more careful. Also, the treatment of younger brothers can apply here as well uh, to the younger woman, right? For them to be treated as equals, them to be treated not as inferior, right? There's no room to, uh, for acting superior towards a younger woman in the church. So both of those apply to some degree for sure. But as much as there are similarities, Paul calls Timothy and the church to treat younger women in a special way. Again, he applies the family analogy here. He calls Timothy and he calls us to treat them as sisters, as sisters in the Lord. As you may have a sister or a younger sister in your flesh family, you, you need to treat your sisters here the same. You're going to want to address her carefully. You're going to want to address her tenderly. You're going to want to address her softly as you would a little sister. And you're going you're gonna to do everything you, get, you can as well in that to protect her. Now, I've never had a little sister. I would have loved to have had a little sister, but I have observed other families, friends who have had little sisters, other families even here that have uh, older siblings with little sisters. And these little, these, these little sisters have a very special place of care within the family. You know, there's a, there's a level of roughness that you can dish out between brothers that you can't do with a little sister, right? Older siblings are to be gentle with her, and they protect her. A younger sister requires a special amount of tenderness and protection. But even more than that, Paul closes this, this younger sister analogy with the extremely important topic of treating her with all purity. As Timothy was the shepherd to the whole church, how he was to shepherd younger women requires even that much more carefulness. Carefulness for her sake as a young woman, but also carefulness for his own sake, and also carefulness for the sake of purity. John MacArthur says, nothing so easily easily makes or breaks a young pastor as his conduct with women. Thoughtlessness or indiscretion, 
as well as outright immorality, violate his calling to lead the flock to purity. Younger women must be confronted with their sin and encouraged to godliness. They must, however, never be led to sin, but be treated as beloved sisters whose purity is the highest consideration. As delicate and fragile as a younger woman is, pastors, elders, or any man within the congregation must be extremely careful with how they minister directly to that young woman. As a pastor, elder may have to step into a sensitive situation to help a young woman struggling with any any number of issues. You're going to want to be gentle. You're going to want to have a lot of care. You're going to want to have a lot of sensitivity, but you have to be careful that that would not be taken the wrong way. It may be misconstrued as something more than just soul care. You have to be careful to make sure that your attention to care for her isn't interpreted as anything more than that. And then on the flip side of that, you have to be careful about your own temptation. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? As, as, as pastors and elders, as all of us are called to be above reproach, especially as men, you have to be careful to guard yourself from temptation. You don't stand in slippery places. You don't put yourself in precarious scenarios. There's a lot of vulnerability going on in those kind of situations. And there's a potential for, for emotional temptation. There's, there's potential for sexual temptation. As young Timothy is called to shepherd younger women, remember, Women of, of his age and younger, uh, not the older women, even though that, wouldn't, that would apply as well, he must do so with extreme caution. Therefore, all dealings, all interactions with any women needs to be above board, needs to be transparent, needs to be above reproach. The word for purity here can also be translated as chastity as well. As, as men would step in and, and deal with the situation, you got to be careful. You've got to put moral fences in place. You have to put boundaries in place that need to be strictly followed. For example, one of, one of my moral fences as a pastor, as a Christian man, as a one-woman man, is to protect at all costs my devotion to my wife, my purity before God, and my witness to the church which means that I never put myself in precarious situations with the opposite sex. I never allow myself to be put in a potential situation with any other woman in the church. Meaning that I will go to no end to make sure that I am never alone with a woman that is not my wife or my mother. I'll never meet up or counsel any woman on my own. doesn't matter how desperate the situation is. I'll never seek to counsel a woman without my wife or others present with me. In fact, I'll I'll even go so far as to refuse to give a woman a ride in a car if she's in some kind of distress. I'll give her my car. I'll give her, I'll call an Uber for her, but I will not take her with me. It's just not worth it. Not that I don't trust myself. 
But I, don't, I want to avoid any chance of temptation. I also want to avoid any hint of perceived infidelity. Right? Say somebody sees me driving a woman somewhere uh, in a car or, or I'm having coffee with another woman in Starbucks, whatever that may be. Somebody could come in and suspect something's going on. Friends, above reproach means unimpeachable character. And I will fight for that all the days of my life so that, that nobody would ever have a twinge or a thought of suspicion. As last week I talked about uh, the commitments of a pastor. One of those commitments, right, was lasting until the end. And as I apply this to myself, for all of our men, I commend this to you as well, to be extremely careful with how you approach, with how you counsel, even just how you interact with women in the church. I also commend this to our women as well. As Joseph ran from the temptation of Potiphar's wife, so we run from temptation with each other. We don't put ourselves in dangerous positions. We flee when there's any hint of that, right? Because temptation doesn't happen by accident. We need to be extremely careful. We need to be so careful that it's even awkward at times. Better to be awkward than to, to lead yourself or a young woman into sin. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures guide us to flee sexual immorality, to resist the devil and he will flee from us, to take the way of escape given to us by God that we may be able to endure it. And part of that is to view all women as sisters in the Lord. Sisters that need to be protected. And to be so extremely careful that we take the right steps. We, we take the right precautions together. We build those fences into your life that it would protect us all and protect young women like sisters. So that we could keep a watch on ourselves. That we could remove any hint of perceived whatever. And so we approach younger women with the purity deserving of a sister. As we're all the church, as we are all the family of God, therefore, we approach each other. We exhort each other. We encourage each other. We're commanded to. And we interact with each other as a family. You remember when Jesus was teaching a large group of followers inside of a home and his disciples came to him and said, your family's outside, Jesus. They want to see you. What did he say to them? In Mark, 33, Mark 3, 33 to 35, he answers them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister and brother. When you hear the truth about Jesus Christ, when you hear the gospel, when you repent and you believe it, you're not only saved and forgiven of all of your sin, but you're also adopted into the family of God. This is the new covenant family. This is the eternal family of God. As you look around this room, these are your mothers. These are your fathers. These are your brothers and your sisters. This is your eternal family. And it begins right now. And we're going to spend eternity together with Christ together. But until he comes, we have to be careful how we engage each other. We've got to do it properly. We have to be careful in how we confront and how we exhort each other. So friends, do not 
rebuke harshly, but encourage one another, exhort one another as we grow together, as we sharpen each other, as we care for each other, as we love each other, right? What does it say? They will know we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. We want to get after it, but we want to get after it in the right way. We want to get after it in the strength of the Spirit. We want to engage this together as we are convinced by God's Word, and we want to be motivated by the Gospel to both save and grow us together as the family of God for the testimony of the gospel and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your clear instructions. We thank you that just in a couple of verses we have a lot to learn about each other and how to approach one another. How, how your word is, is, is also so very practical how the analogy of the family teaches us how to approach one another, how we are to confront one another in our sin, and how, how we are to love one another. And how in that, what shines out most is the glory of Jesus Christ as he builds his church, as he builds the family of God. That these, this is the true family of God. That as we look around this room, these are our mothers, these are our fathers, these are our brothers and our sisters. Not that we don't have earthly family, but that this is our eternal family and that it begins right now. And then as we continue to live until Christ comes, there still is temptation. There is temptation to fall back on the flesh. But your gospel by your spirit is, is not only for salvation, it also motivates us to live our life every day. That as we see Christ before us, as we follow him, as we see his humility, his kindness, his love, as he would not hold back, hold back exhortation, we are to as, uh, as well. But that we are to do it in love and to do it gently. As each person is different within the family, we honor each other as such. And we do it for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media to stay up to date on current events and information from Redemption Church, Calgary South. And don't forget, you are loved.